Hey, good morning, Watermark, brothers and sisters in Christ. Good to be with you on Sundays. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, that um, Laura went in for her checkup following a bout with breast cancer, and they, they found what they thought might be an early indicator of cancer. She went and had that biopsied, and everything came back benign. She's all clear, all good, so I wanted to thank you. Thank you for your prayers and, and concern and, and also for celebrating. That may not always be the case, but for right now it is. And regardless uh, of whatever diagnosis we get on whatever day, the Lord reigns and he is sovereign. Um, in a very different way, I have uh, had cancer as well, very different. You maybe can't tell this by looking at me, but I'm actually prone to skin cancer. Despite my incredible tan, uh, I, I, I'm so prone to having skin issues. And so I'm a frequent flyer at the dermatologist. And uh, one time they found basal cell carcinoma on me. And so with a like glowing hot red surgical tool, local anesthesia just like carved it out of my back. And here's how this went down. There was nothing pleasant about it. Like I wasn't like, oh great, cancer. I can't wait, doc. Like thank you so much. And, and she wasn't thrilled when she found it. But out of a concern for me and my well-being and a commitment to caring for me under the Hippocratic oath, like, hey, I have, a, I have a moral obligation as a doctor to care for my patient. Like, I will see this through. And so there we were, me in submission to my doctor, her with a glowing red tool. I'm like trying not to sneeze or cough, just slice my ear off. Uh, she did what she needed to do. And, and I was thankful um, for that doctor. Because that cancer unchecked, I asked her, because I needed a sermon illustration, I'm like, hey, what happens if I don't do that? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, if I don't do it, what happens? She's like, it spreads. I'm like, and then what? She's like, you die. I was like, thank you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> because it's what cancer is. Spiritually speaking, sin is cancer. And it's within every single one of us. It's 1 John 1, 8, where it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all have sin, but oftentimes, it's in a place that we can't see it. And we need the body of Christ to see it, and then we need the great physician, Jesus, to remove it. Because if not, the word says, sin leads to death, that that sin will spread through us, and its aim, if unchecked, is death. And today we're gonna to be walking through 1 Corinthians 5, which, which is a passage about sin. And it's a heavy passage. Like, just so you know, everybody buckle up because it starts with, uh, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, and then it ends with, purge the evil person from among you. So this is a ride, y'all. Uh, there is sin. It, it is like church discipline. But God in his kindness, right in the middle, is this infusion of grace. And so we need this as a body, because just like my body, the doctor's going to remove and the doctors did for Laura and her cancer, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the body of Christ, spiritually seeking, the body and bride of Christ. And we are to be without wrinkle, stain, or blemish at his coming, because the holiness of God we also are called to be holy. And so we can't enable sin or allow sin to remain in this body, individually or corporately, but there must be this daily repentance and shepherding of each other. And so where we're going to be today in 1 Corinthians 5, here's your roadmap, is the sinfulness of sin, 
the impact of grace by Jesus Christ, and then the call to shepherd, the sinfulness of sin, the impact of grace, and the call that all of us would shepherd each other through sin. And so first, here in 1 Corinthians 5, verses one through five, the sinfulness of sin. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. They were living in Corinth, which was thoroughly pagan, and he's like, this doesn't even happen in Corinth. And it's within the church of Corinth. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, likely his stepmother. And you're proud. They were boasting in the grace, like, oh, we're so grace-filled. This even happens in our church. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. He's not talking about soul transporting. He's like, you have my authority. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's calling on utmost authority and priority on the one who has been doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man, this is terrifying, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that, not so that he may be condemned or run out of town or despised. It's not punitive, it's pastoring because hear this, so that the result so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. It wasn't punitive, it was pastoral. And so the sinfulness of sin, where we're going to begin as a sub-point is enabling sin. Enabling sin, because that's what the Corinthians were doing. There was this man within the church, when you look at the verb tense of a man is sleeping with his father's wife, it's present active, meaning it was ongoing, continuous. This wasn't a past sin. Like all of us have a past that we really wish we didn't have. The people who say, I, I have no regrets, it's like, well, you're not aware. Because any sin that you have in the past, I hate and regret. This is not about a past, but rather a present. That was the problem. Like in Laura's radiation clinic, after she had surgery, she went to radiation, and uh, cancer was always going into that clinic but cancer would die in that clinic. And so it is with the church. Sin should always be walking into the church. If you're living and breathing, you have sin in your life and you walked into the church today. That wasn't the problem. Sin should always be, we're a spiritual emergency room for the city. Like where else would people go? Like of course they would come here for the, the remedy to the malady of sin. The problem is, is when unrepentant sin that needs to be rejected in the church. So sin should be expected, unrepentant sin should be rejected. It's unrepentance that is the issue. And we often make two errors with enabling sin. Um, the first is we will overlook judgment of these socially acceptable or normalized sins. Sins that we don't think are as egregious as sleeping with a person's, uh, a father's wife. That we're like, oh yeah, we know that is. But then we become conditioned to like greed and materialism, particularly here in America, like this version of American Christianity where it's like, well, uh, Jesus and then some, like I'm gonna get mine. And we become so focused on materialism and status and accumulation and safety by credit card and bank accounts that it's to the expense of furthering the kingdom of God. Here's a, here's a statistic. Uh, four out of 10 members at this church don't give, don't give 
to the church. Now, I don't say that because we like want your money, but God wants your heart. And Jesus said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. So that's a point of shepherding. Now, we, we're not going through a roster and being like, oh, that's surprising, he doesn't, she does, oh, cool. Like, nobody knows the names except the person who actually is like taking checks to the bank. It's a statistic because of the number that we know, but that's between you and the Lord, but he loves a cheerful giver. But I think our greed crowds out our giving because it's just become a socially acceptable thing. One for me is overeating or undereating. I am a... Because I'm a former addict, I'm like all or nothing, man. That's how alcoholics roll. And I haven't drank for 16 years, but you know my ditch is still to, to binge eat, and then I'm which is sin, it's gluttony. Then I repent from it, but the way that I repent from it is I starve myself. And my team knows this, they're like, oh, you're having water for lunch? <laughs> Terrific. Instead of just having enough, like daily bread, and I'll vacillate between those two sins, which are American sins, overeating of gluttony and then undereating because of like body image and whatnot. And, and they, so we will overlook the judgment of certain sins. The other thing that we'll do as an error of sin is we'll overextend grace to sin, just like the Corinthians. And we'll do it because we're boiled frogs. We've been around the person so much and they've been doing it for so long that we don't even know or think that there could be a reality otherwise. It's like, well, that's just, that's just how they are. They're just like, they're a control freak. It's just kind of who they are. Like, that's their wiring. And we no longer see it as sin. We see it as their identity. It's like, well, that, that's just how they are. They're just super type A, super confident, and they'll run over people, but man, they get stuff done. It's like, well, that's the sin of pride, or that's the control, the sin of control, where you're not even availing yourself to the Lord, like, I'm Lord of my life, not, not the Lord. And, and we are conditioned, and so we overextend grace, and we enable sin in doing so. The second way the sinfulness of sin comes into the church is through hubris, or pride, rather than humility. I needed an H word, hubris versus humility. Because Paul writes and he says about this sin, he says, and you're proud? He's like shocked about it. They're like, man, anybody and everybody. You know what? Like we're, we're, we are sin friendly. But it was unrepentant sin that Paul's like, don't be proud about, don't be surprised about sin being within, but you should never be proud about unrepentance. Like that you're to be grieved over. Now humility it's hard. It's hard because it's, it's death to self to lay yourself before a brother or sister in Christ or your community group or your spouse or your roommate and say like, hey, here's the, here's the sin within. It is so hard because it's a crucifixion of ego and self, but it's the gospel that that's where you get confession of sin prayed for and healed. And so it's healthy. It's hard, but it's healthy, just like me going to the doctor to have them carve out cancer. It is hard, it's painful, but it's healthy. And the other thing that it is is holy, because it's a removal of sin as you lay forth your sin and are prayed for and shepherded. So humbling, but it leads to holiness. As the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. Um, my son, he's eight years old, which is, Really noteworthy for what I'm about to tell you. Uh, he, the other day, was telling someone, he goes, yeah, I, I'll eat anything. I'll eat black ants, red ants, 
carpenter ants. I even eat leafcutter ants. I'm like, you're a liar. Leafcutter ants are in the Amazon, but why are you eating these ants? Like, what are you doing? And I, I was like listening, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I go, Hill, you won't even eat cauliflower. And he goes, ah, ah. I hate cauliflower. I can't swallow it. And I'm like, because he has such a, he, he's proud about the lack of nutrition that he has. He's eating ants, y'all. <laughs> like, eat some fire ants. You'll never do it again. Then you'll eat your cauliflower. Because of his low view of sin, these, these will rise and fall together. You have a low view of sin, then you have a low view of holiness. Because the sinfulness of sin, if it's, you're like, ah, it's not actually that bad. Then what that means is, is like, eh, God's not actually that holy and therefore I don't need to be that holy. Will he really be offended? And so it rises and falls, low view of nutrition, low view of eating habits, low view of sin, low view of holiness. And the only antidote is humility. I confessed recently to, uh, well, here's how it went. It wasn't straight a confession, so Laura, we're posting about our cancer update, and she's like, you know, you probably ought to tell people too so that they know, and I was like, oh, you're right. And so, I was like, but I gotta download the app. She's like, you don't have Instagram? I was like, no, I deleted it. She's like, why? I was like, because it is a colossal waste of time. I have like thumb cramps and I'll, and I'll look up and be like, oh, where did Sunday go? Because I get into this black hole of scrolling. And I go, but you know what also? There's like, there's so much trash on there that like is not good for me to see. And she was like, are you not seeking that out, are you? Which is a really valid question for a spouse to ask. Like, that's a fair question. I was like, I'm not like seeking it out, but it does come up and it's before me. And so I deleted it because that's not good for me. And I've told my community group guys as well, John Abel's sitting right there. I've confessed it to him. And so um, I had to remove that because it was leading me into sin. And that's humbling, right? Like, but you're a grown man. You can't even have Instagram. It's like, well, it, it, it didn't prove good for me, either from a time standpoint or my eye standpoint. And so no, I don't. And it's humbling to say it before you, but it's hard and it's healthy and it leads to holiness so that we don't enable the sinfulness of sin. The third is the severe mercy of separation. You see, Paul says, uh, shouldn't you rather be grieved? Put this man out of your fellowship. Then he goes further and says, turn him over to Satan. Wow. Like, that escalated quickly. Turn him over to Satan. Like, Paul, isn't there a, like some step in between? But he's so concerned for the holiness of God and so concerned for the holiness of the church that he's like, man, for someone who's unrepentant, like, that's between them, their sin, and the Lord. And the only way that that's gonna get well is that they would know the sinfulness of sin, and so it's turn them over to it. There's a parallel passage from the teaching of Jesus. It's in Luke 15. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And we all love the prodigal son because it's like, ah, oh, the father was there watching and we saw his son. He ran to him and the robe and the ring and the sandals and the fatted calf. Well, the son would have never, never came back to the father except for the fact that no one gave him anything. I think it's the most often overlooked part of the prodigal son. When he was in the distant land, he's looking at the pods the pigs are eating. He's hired himself out to be a a pig herder, and he's feeding the pigs, and he wants to eat the pig food, and we're all like, we know that part. He would have remained in the distant land, except it says no one gave him anything. They wouldn't even let him eat the slop. And so he's like, and because of that, he's like, well, I guess it's better that I go back. And that's the principle that Paul puts in place in this pastoring, where he's like, 
then don't give them anything. If they don't repent, turn them over to it. Don't give them anything. We'll see later. Don't even share a meal with them so that, as the prodigal son, in that nothingness, that all they have is their sin, their cancer that's devouring them, they're like, okay, enough, enough. It's better to be back with the Father's covering and my brothers and sisters that I would be cared for. I thought I didn't want their care. I am running back to the Lord. There's the sinfulness of sin, but with Christ alone, with Christianity alone, there is the impact of grace. And this is an impact from above and it's an impact in your life. There is a cause of Christ and there's an effect that happens in your life. It's the impact of grace following the sinfulness of sin. And and hear me say this, every other religion and cult will tell you if you have sin, and you do, because no one can deny that, then you better good work your way out of it. Because one day you will stand in judgment. One day you'll be re- reincarnated into a better life or a worse life. One day, if you're good enough, you might reach nirvana or be assimilated into Brahman. Like one day, you might inherit your own kingdom if you do enough good works to outweigh your bad. In Christianity alone, there is sin and then there's lavish grace through Jesus Christ. It is the only offering of grace on this planet found in this book because of Jesus Christ our Lord. The impact of grace. And here it is, like I told you, there's the sinfulness of sin that's just so serious. And then God's like, and here is the way out. 1 Corinthians 5, six through eight. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new, new, keyword, unleavened batch as you really are. He's like, it's not, a, it's not wishful thinking. It's not aspirational. It's actual. You're new. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sin spreads, the impact of grace. Before we get to the impact of grace, he says about the yeast leavening. So there is a spreading of sin. It spreads personally within you, and then if not checked, it spreads corporately throughout the whole body. That's why Paul has this urgency to remove this one individual. This is nuts, y'all. So Queen Elizabeth, like 15, 1600s, Queen Elizabeth the first, she repelled the Spanish Armada. She established the Protestant church within England. She unified a divided England. She did some great things. You know what else she did? She brushed her teeth with honey mixed with a sugar paste. What? So much so that at the age of 65, a German ambassador was meeting with her And his report that we have in historical data says that her breath was horrid. She had black teeth, only of the ones remaining, and the rest were out, like just gnarly mouth. Because she was brushing her teeth with honey mixed with sugar to create like a paste, I guess, to erode the enamel off further. That's crazy. What's, What's even more crazy is because of Queen Elizabeth, the entire nation followed suit. They're like, oh, That's what nobility does, that's what royalty does. And so they all started brushing their teeth with honey and sugar paste and had thus yellow and blackened teeth. A little sin spreads personally and then corporately. If you're a parent, you know this. 
If you're a parent, like you know full well, like when Laura and I go on a vacation, we leave the kids with the grandparents, we come back and they are like wild beasts. And what happens is, because we know, we're like, Hill, why would you ever think to do that? And he's like, well, I did that because Penny did this. And Penny's like, well, I did that because Judd did this. And what happens is Judd sins and then it becomes case law. They're all like, well, he did and nothing happened to him because we're the only ones that spank. The grandparents don't spank. Mom and dad spank. If you have a problem with spanking, read Proverbs. Your problem's with the word and not with me. But <laughs> they don't get spanked. And so when they don't get spanked, when there's no discipline, then they just like see each other and, and it just spreads throughout. It's what Paul says happens within the church. And the way that he uses, he says a little yeast leavens the whole lump. Y'all, I'm not big into baking, but I got some yeast. Do you know how small this stuff is? It's like the tiniest, I mean, look at this. It's like dust. But here's the terrifying thing. This yeast, like you can't see this one speck I'm grabbing. That's a living organism. I don't know how, I don't know what state it's in, powdered in a bag that it's alive, but it's alive. You gotta trust me. Because when you put that into a lump of bread, this is disgusting too. Every illustration I have today is disgusting. Um, but it's because we're talking about sin. That little piece eats what is sweet. It eats, yeast eats sugar. It eats what is sweet and excretes poison. Some of y'all are like, I am never eating bread or drinking beer again. You're eating the excretions of a little organism. That's disgusting. It eats what is sweet and excretes poison, carbon dioxide, that at a 10% rate can actually kill. That's sin. Paul says, you know this, this tiny little thing that you think is so insignificant? Like, what, what could that do to me? That's, that's like harmless. A second glance at a woman or a man or a flirtation or a little extra. Like, what could that, it's just once, it's just a little. It's just while I'm on a business trip. And Paul's like, no, no, no. That will spread through you and it'll spread through the entire body. It's what sin does. It spreads. It spreads. But here's the good news that while sin spreads, Christ frees. Christ frees, and this is where there is the cause of Christ upon us and the effect of Christ moving through us. And so this is where it says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Here's what happened. They are in Egypt in bondage, 430 years of slavery. And God says to Moses, each family take a lamb, sacrifice it, put the blood over the door, partake of the lamb. The angel of death is going to pass over, strike every firstborn, you're gonna walk out free. And when they did, when they did on that very first Passover, in that moment, they went from slave to free. That's what the eating of the Passover lamb did. Slave to free and nothing in between. One day, they were a slave under the bondage of Egypt. They partake of the Passover, and they're literally just walking out of Egypt without any restraint. And it is what Jesus Christ does for us. Because we also, the Bible is so clear, we're slaves to sin and Satan. And now he's exclaiming that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So now you're not a slave. Walk free. And not only that, he goes on to say, let us keep the festival, 
Now you have to know, at that time of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what happened was there was an eight-day period where they ate nothing with yeast in it. They ate unleavened bread because they were to eat it in haste. Like, hey, you don't have time for it to rise. Get out of there. You're no longer slaves. You're free. Paul writes and says, let us keep the festival. And here you have a present active subjunctive. It's present, meaning it's happening right now. We're going to keep the feast. The feast of what? Of unleavened. But now the leaven is sin, wickedness, and malice. He's saying get rid of that leaven, but this feast is not eight days. This feast is this side of eternity, that every single day, but it's subjective. That's important, because what it means is it may or may not happen, and that depends on us. It may or may not happen. Because of Christ, if you were in Christ, your sins are forgiven, you're no longer a slave, you're free, you're new, you're a new batch. And now let us keep the festival, and that festival is this daily repentance. And so sin spreads, Christ frees, and now we have saints repent daily. Spurgeon said it this way, he said, I must often be repenting, for I fear I am often sinning. There's a, a daily repentance that happens now that, yes, the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ our Lord, has been sacrificed and raised from the dead. The spirit indwells us. We're made new, not better, but new. We're walking in freedom, but every day this, this sin, these small sins creep back in. And so every day we're be, to be repenting, which is to turn from sin by turning towards Christ by the power of Christ. Now, by the power of Christ is important because we have no ability to cleanse yourself from your own sin. And, and so for that, this is not a paid advertisement, not a paid sponsor, but I brought the nose Frida. If you're a parent, you're like, oh, dude, that thing's gold. If you're single and without kids, you're like, that's why I'm never having kids. <laughs> this is disgusting. Check this out. So my four-year-old in particular, he doesn't know how to blow his nose. He's four. And he, I'm, oh, I don't know, maybe at some point developmentally, you're like, no, he's behind. He should know how to blow his nose. I'll be like, hey, Judd, blow your nose. And he's like, he'll, he'll do this. <laughs> like, that's like cat furball. Like, what do you, no, blow your nose. And he's like, <laughs> like, okay. So we have this. And here's what happens. I put this in my mouth. I put this to his nose. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I told you, it's all gross. Every, we're talking about sin. I put it to his nose. And I suck, like, and I suck so hard. He goes, he literally, the other week, he goes, Dad, when you do the, the snot sucker, why do you shake your head? <laughs> because there's such a small hole to create the vacuum effect, it sucks the snot out of my boy. You're like, I'm not gonna hear anything else you will say the rest of today. I show you that. Because my boy has no ability. He can't, everyone else can see it. Everybody else is like, hey, John and Laura, like, you, you need to get Judd a Kleenex. Because it's like, you know. And we're, we get out the nose Frida. And we do what he can't do. It's the same with sin. Like at some point we're like, yeah, Jesus forgave me of my sin. And then we try to walk it out by our own strength. You can't. You have no ability to be saved from your sin or to be sanctified from your sin. Instead, like a child, you go to your father and you let him use a sin snot sucker. <laughs> but check this out. I was like, what is, because it's called nose, nose Frida. I was like, I'm curious. 
So I'm like, what does Frida mean in Swedish? It means beloved. It means beloved. And I was like, oh, that's so appropriate. Because we are his beloved and he is ours. He, he lives to do that very disgusting thing of taking sin from us. In fact, just like I aspirate my four-year-old's snot into my mouth, it doesn't actually hit your mouth. There's, there's a small sponge. He, Jesus, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He, all of our sins, Isaiah 53, were laid upon him. Like, this is actually a very close reality, except all the more disgusting, because all the sin of adultery and sexual sin and drunkenness and greed and everything else was laid upon him. But he delighted to take it, because otherwise there's no other way. That's Jesus, who saves you and sanctifies you. Thank you, Lord. And just like other people can see the snot rolling down my four-year-old's nose, that it's us as our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, Judd can't really see it. It's on him, but others can. And similarly, the body sees, and then Christ frees. The body sees, and Christ frees. And nobody's like doing it in a punitive way. They, they care about my kid, or my doctor cares about my cancer. They're not doing it to shame, or to shun, or to, to push us out, but rather like, hey, there's something there. You can't see it. You can't even get it, but I wanna help you, and I need you to help me. This is all pastoring. It's not punitive. You see, in 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll get to, it says if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong. You're a nuisance. And so there's the impact of grace following the sinfulness of sin, and then there's the call of the shepherd. And we do have this call upon our lives. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. Like, we need each other. God has so ordained and wired this that this side, as we walk home, we walk together and we shepherd each other. We care for each other. And so here it is, the call of the shepherd. This is from 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. And as I read this, I want you to know too, like Proverbs 24 talks about shepherding one another. Ezekiel 33 and 34 about shepherding one another. Matthew 18, where it says, if your brother sins, show him his fault. He doesn't hear you, take two or three others. That would be like roommates, community group, the sphere of influence that are Christians. If not then, to the church, just a broadening, not for shame, for shepherding. Here's one, this is crazy. In, in Titus 3.10, it says, warn a divisive person once or twice, and have, after that, have nothing to do with them. That's, it's just all exclaiming the holiness of God, the holiness that he desires for his body, not for shame that we might walk in the freedom and keep the feast of repentance. So, it says this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not meaning all the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone, he's gonna put a, an asterisk on this, with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, Christians, one who say they're Christians and they're in unrepentant sin, with them, if they're sexually immoral or greedy, idolater, slander, drunkard, swindler, and it's not limited to that. He's giving a list. There could be others. These are just examples. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. 
that expel the wicked person from among you, that's, that's numbered six times in Deuteronomy. Paul's borrowing from Old Testament language, bringing it into the church, like so it was then under the national nation of Israel. Now here we have within the church that we can't tolerate unrepentant sin because it spreads. There is an impact of grace, and if there's not, then we let them go so that the flesh would be destroyed, but their soul be saved that they would realize the sinfulness of sin, this flesh and spirit that war against one another and be like, all right, enough of that. I wanna return that my soul might be saved. And so here it is in a, in a couple of phrases. We are to make fellowship with lost sheep and we are to break fellowship with lax sheep. Lax meaning like relaxed, unrestrained, uncontrolled. You're just, you're relaxed. So make fellowship with lost sheep, like if you don't reach them, who will? You're called to be salt and light among this world. We're to make fellowship with lost sheep that they might see our lives and glorify Christ and know him, but we are to break fellowship, fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> we're to break fellowship with lax sheep. And that doesn't mean like, you're like, hey, I know what you did with your boyfriend last weekend, and so we're done, sister. It's not that. Like when they're grieved over their sin, they're confessing it, it's the unrepentance over the long course of time of shepherding that they show an unrepentant, unshepherdable heart. We're like, I don't care what you say. Get out of my face. I don't get like, I can't hear you. Then that's where it's like, okay, then we're not even gonna share meals together. We're not even gonna fellowship because you're no longer even wanting to be shepherded by me. So if we're not gonna shepherd each other, like let's just call it what it is. And when you're ready, I'm here. I'm not mad at you, but it's my commitment just like a good doctor. So there is to be shepherding within the church. And again, like, let, let, let me say, this is interesting. Within that passage where it says swindler, slanderer, drunkard, this is so crazy. Paul changes from verbs to nouns. He's saying this sin has so become your identity, it's who you are. So just for context so that you don't go out here and you start like punching people in the chest like I know what you did and I'm done with you, no more meals. It's when a sin has been, become so ingrained in that person and they're so unwilling to be shepherded that it becomes their identity. Or it's like, oh, you're such a worry wart. You're so boy crazy. You love your expensive toys, your boy toys. Man, that guy loves a good time, which is code for he gets drunk a lot. It's those things, but it's not a one and done. It's like, out of love and concern, I'm gonna come talk to you, I'm gonna implore you. There's a better way. Remember who you are. Christ, your Passover lamb. And, and, and if there's not listening, then I'm gonna bring two or three others who love you also. You don't get to be a jerk because they're in sin. It's Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. I'm looking at some of my region leaders right now who are such faithful shepherds and do this so well. But when that person rejects the correction, then it's like, okay, then go your way. Not once, but in an unrepentant pattern. Get a load of this. In Proverbs 12.1, it says, he who hates correction is stupid. Y'all, that's not even the message translation. That's ESV. He who hates correction is stupid. I mean, the Lord is hilarious. But he's like, man, that's just, that's just dumb. They're there saying like, hey, that thing is gonna lead to death. I'm here to help you. And you're like, get out of my face. That's just stupid. 
And so I can't shepherd you. And so we've got to care for one another. I I discipline my children often, and I do so out of love. In fact, if I didn't discipline them, the Bible says, he who spares the rod hates the child. That if I don't discipline my kids, it's actually a sign that I don't care about them. I hate them. And so it is with us and each other. If we don't shepherd each other, that's not a sign of like overwhelming grace. Like, oh, they're so loving, they overlook my offense. It's a sign of indifference and hatred. He who hates correction is stupid, but are we even willing to give the correction and love? And then love is really important. Like, of all the times, of all the correction where I am most guilty, it's with my kids. Like, when they're doing something unruly, (laughs) this is where I need to repent because my discipline is often not motivated by a place of, like, I need to wait. I'm just angry or, like, dumbfounded that they would do such a thing. And I'll move into discipline before I've got love in check with truth. And so it is with your brothers and sisters. Like, if you're not doing it from a place of love, hold, pray, and y'all hold and pray for me in the discipline of my children. But we are to discipline. So Watermark, as a church, for its members, because you've said, like, this is where I wanna be under spiritual authority. Hebrews 13, 17, I wanna be subject to my elders in glad submission for the care of my soul. So for members, we do have church discipline. But church, when I say that, church discipline, don't, you need to know that right now you're probably not like, oh my goodness, like where's the side door? How do I get out of here? Like I'm about, it, it will never, hear me, it will never be a surprise. You will never be surprised like, wow, didn't see that coming. Like, and I'm sure it was the case here in Paul's letter. I think this probably happened over a long course of time. And, and so you will never be surprised by it, and it, thus it will never be quick. You're never gonna confess a sin and people be like, that's it, get out. In fact, the opposite. Confession is to be met with prayer in James 5.16. You confess, you're prayed for so that God might heal, not for condemnation. It's the lack of confession, lack of repentance, lack of willingness to be shepherded where it's like, all right, hey, let's just call a spade a spade. You don't wanna be shepherded, you're unwilling to be shepherded, you don't wanna turn from that, so be free. It will never be quick, never be a surprise, and hear me say this, it will never be final. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like Paul rebukes Peter. It wasn't final for Peter. It's never final. That's the hope of the gospel, that we can be forgiven and sanctified. That there's always a path back. Never final, always a path back. And it's never because of a particular sin. It's not like, You're like, oh, I committed one of the big 10, so I'm probably out. Like, it could be something so small in man's eyes, but if it's unrepentant and unshepherdable, that might go versus like, if someone did something that you might think is like, whoa, that is like outlier sin, but they're repentant from it. The one that we think might be small may experience church discipline, while the one who did it once and is grieved over it is like, brother, welcome, you're forgiven. It's all about a condition of the heart that it reveals there's always a path back. No matter how many exit ramps from the church someone might take, there's always an on-ramp back of grace when there's repentance and a desire like I wanna be back home with the Father and it is always motivated by love. It is always motivated by love. Just like Paul, this was pastoring and not punitive. Shepherding is 
love, as I do with my children, it's loving for their discipline. And uh, because I'm not a huge fan of being disciplined myself, I try to confess as often as I can. It's hard, it's humbling, but it leads to holiness. And so you guys remember, now as we like recap, the sinfulness of sin, the impact of grace, and the call to shepherd one another. You remember the, the dermatologist that I see. You know what I did at my last appointment? The night before, I took a, I don't know where it is, I took a Sharpie, and I literally was like, that's a weird looking freckle. That's a bump, that didn't used to be there. That, that's probably not good, that may be something. I'm circling things on my body so that I can say like, hey, here it all is. And may we be a church that we're just circling things on ourselves and going to our community group because you know what? When you confess sin, somebody else is going to also. That James 5.16 is this mutual confession. Your response when someone confesses sin is to confess also and then you pray for each other and God brings healing. That's God's design. There's no fear in that. It's to be cared for and loved because that's what Jesus did for us so that we can be free. It's all about Christ, our Passover lamb, and to walk out in freedom. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. It is a love that we can talk about, but we do not even fully, partially understand. But we see such a glimpse of it that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He died in our place that we might be forgiven and set free. And Lord, would the overwhelming reality of that hit our hearts and thus may we through daily repentance, keep the feast. To always feast on the goodness of Jesus and never on the wickedness and evil that our flesh so longs for. But to remember Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead and he's coming again. And when he does, may he find the bride without wrinkle, stain, or blemish by the sanctifying power of the Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ.